Welcome to Theater in 360, the podcast of the Colonial Players of Annapolis. I'm your host, Jim Ryder. On today's podcast, the cast of art. And welcome to the Theater in 360 podcast. Today, we're talking about art, part two. Our previous podcast was the director, Debbie Barber Eaton. Today, it's the cast, the three-person cast of art, Sam Lunay, Tom Newbro, and Jim Ryder. We'll start with Sam, since he's the new guy to CP. Uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us what you've done around, you know, Baltimore, D.C. area. And then we'll ask you about uh, what brought you to CP and art. Well, in my youth, I wanted to be an actor, but discovered very quickly uh, in my early 20s in Los Angeles that my talent was not what I thought it was, and my skin was not as thick as I thought it was. So I uh, I gave it up, um, started working on the production side uh, on bad films and TV shows. And then uh, eventually, once we, my wife and I started having kids, we we're like, uh, let's, let's move back east to be a little closer to family. So we moved to Annapolis. And a few years ago, uh, my daughter asked me if I loved what I do. And I said, yeah, it, it, it's pretty good. I'm home for dinner every night. And she said, but you always tell me to do what you love. Why don't you do what you love? And I said, well, I, I, I love acting. So uh, I started taking some classes. And uh, I was cast in a show in Silver Spring at Silver Spring Stage called Appropriate, which was great. And um, that actually led to me being cast in a show in D.C. at the Mosaic Theater called Eureka Day, which was a really great experience. And then COVID hit. So mm. uh, everything seemed to shut down. And then um, I've been looking, I, I, living in Annapolis, I've, I've come to the theater so many times here. And uh, I, I was looking for something that I, I thought would be, good for me. Uh, and I saw the audition for art and I signed up. And Tom Newbro, the old man of the show, <laughs> if you don't count me, uh, you've been doing CP shows since the mid eighties. That's right. Right. Tell us about, about that background. Tom and I go back in many ways, um, directed me in a dead man's cell phone. You've directed how many other shows here? I directed five shows and assistant directed one, and uh, I did uh, Strange Snow, A Shane of Madel, Incorruptible, Rabbit Hole, and Dead Man's Cell Phone. And directing is a lot harder than being on stage, in my opinion, because of, you, know, you have to pay attention to everybody doing everything. But I'd like to be back on stage this time. It's been a few years. I did last show I did was a new brain, which was a musical here about three years ago before COVID. And uh, this is one of the best places to work around because they have so much volunteer help compared mm -hmm. to other places where you end up doing everything yourself if you're involved with community theater. This is a little bit more of an organization with 74 years of experience and still takes a few people behind the scenes to run the entire shebang, which is amazing when you get right down to it. It's also a really nice to have their own facility, you know, a rehearsal space where you don't have to be at the whims of a church schedule or, a, right. you know, um, anyway. Um, all right. So uh, since I'm in the cast, too, I'll just introduce myself a little bit. I've been around for a while, like Tom. Um, I grew up in Bowie and did a lot of theater in uh, – in Bowie, it, what it was originally called Music Comedy, which became Second Star. And uh, 
did a few other things around, and my first one at CP was Driving Miss Daisy in 1995, another three-person show, ironically enough. Um, but enough about me. So when you've come to see shows, Sam, mm -hmm. what kept you from coming out earlier? We always look at guys who have talent like you. Thank you. Um, I don't. I don't know. I. I. I was taking classes in D.C. I'll give a shout out to the Studio Acting Conservatory from which I graduated from their three-year program. It's. Uh, and I think while I was taking classes, I was still building up that confidence, um, and really getting my feet under me. And uh, you, you know, had, with each, you with actually each, prepared. What uh, you actually prepared. To, to go do theater, unlike any of us. <laughs> yes, I, I did, but your experience. Well, yeah. Um, That's just age. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. I guess, I guess I was really just trying to make sure that I had something, some foundation underneath me before I came out. Um, because I, I wasn't really auditioning for anything until this show at Silver Spring Stage when I did mm -hmm. Appropriate. Uh, and that gave me a lot of confidence. That was a tough show. Now, Tom, uh, you did this show nine eight, years ago. Nine years ago at Dignity Players here in Annapolis, yes. And uh, that was an excellent show, and the sound design was really fabulous. I thought. <laughs> um, but tell us about um, doing it the first time, and what made you want to come out again? And were you looking to do Mark again? We'll get into the characters in a couple of minutes. But what well, brought I've you always, out again? I've always Felt like of all of the three characters, by far the most uh, approachable for me was Mark because it's more like my own personality. I would believe more so than the other two characters. And also, I understand where Mark's coming from in this character, as far as this character is concerned. I have a little bit of an affinity for that. I played it before. Now I didn't remember the lines at all. <laughs> I had to start all over with that. Nor did I really remember exactly. The mind, the mindset that you know. So it was like doing a new show to me. Yeah. Really, I guess at this stage of the game, you would think that you might have a recollection of that, but I really didn't. I was sort of like learning it all over again, and it's with new people, two new co-stars. It makes a big difference. And in the round, and in the round, a right? big difference. It's a different show. So to to describe the show, let's just. Describe a little bit about each of the characters, and that, that might you know, help people understand if they're going to come to see it, uh, what the show is really about. Tell us a little bit about, about Mark. Mark's uh, styled as an aeronautical engineer, which to me is sort of just as a way of pigeonholing him as being a ruthlessly logical type of person, not very really that artistic, and not really into the modern art scene like his friend Serge is. In fact, I think he resents Serge's involvement in that scene. And I think that's a lot of what the controversy and the conflict in the play is about, is Mark's resentment of the fact that Serge may be moving on to other friendships or other relationships with other people that don't involve him any longer. And I can, you can kind of tell that Mark's an irascible guy, as far as the character is concerned. Probably doesn't have a lot of friends. Very difficult to make friends if you're that type of person. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he feels a sense of, you know, loss and a, a sense of fear about losing a friend that drives some of the actions that he has in the play because he's rather desperately trying to convince everyone including the audience i think that this is ridiculous this painting that serge has purchased for a large sum of money 
And some people may agree in the audience. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they definitely get a, a titter when the white painting comes out. Um, I'll go ahead with Serge because we're going to put you in the middle where Yvonne always is anyway. But Serge is the guy, the um, um, dermatologist, very well off, um, who buys this white painting because he's gotten into modern art. And yeah, uh, Mark resents it. it and it, it turns out later on down in the play, we don't want to get too far into it because hopefully you'll come out and see it. But uh, it turns into something personal, you know. Um, and uh, the the conflict between Serge and Mark becomes defensive on Serge's part and then off, off, on offense. And Mark is usually on offense and then has to play defense later in the in the show when we get into certain personal things. Again, I'm not going to describe them. Um, and then their friend, they've all been friends for 15 years. By the way, the setting is Paris, although, of course, it's all English. We didn't learn French for this one. The setting is Paris in the 90s, and uh, the the guy in the middle is their friend, Yvonne, who – tell us about Yvonne and what's going on with him and why he's refereeing so much. Yvonne wants to be a peacekeeper. He wants to keep everybody happy, and he, he wants to kind of keep things light if he can. He doesn't want things to get too serious. Uh, He's referred to as a joker at one point. Uh, but what he really just wants to be the, the peacekeeper between his two friends. He doesn't want them to fight. He doesn't want, he doesn't want them to, to, he doesn't want them to have these conflicts. He wants, he wants to just go out and enjoy himself. Let's go out, have dinner, enjoy ourselves. And as it evolves, I think he gets more and more desperate to try and keep the peace between the two of them. And at the same time, He's about to be married yes. in, what, two weeks to someone neither of, of us approves uh, of. Um, to tell us a little bit how that enters into the story and the relationship. Well, I, th I think that uh, even though we never meet her, it's, it's clear that, that Yvonne's a little henpecked. Not just by her, but right. by his mother as well. And... Uh, and his stepmother. I think all the women in his life uh, have really kind of beat him down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so he really looks forward to these evenings with his two friends where all the, all the stress just melts away. So when he sees the stress start to develop between his friends, I think it really, it, it scares him a little bit that he won't have that to fall back on once he's married, because he's still gonna—he's probably gonna need these nights even more yeah. once he's married. The uh, uh, the playwright Yasmina Reza, who is French, um, originally had this happen to her. A friend of hers bought a painting that when he showed her, uh, she just burst out laughing, and it was that kind of juxtaposition between this guy loving something and her saying. This is nuts. It didn't devolve into the kind of thing that, you know, the play devolves into, which is much more interesting. But it's interesting that she said she she found it a little surprising that people considered it a comedy because there's so much laughter in it. There's so much humor in it. Yet she considered it more of a tragedy because it's the kind of the almost end of a friendship, you know, this 15 year friendship. Um, so tell me about. I asked both of you what what do you think about the the comedy aspect of this 
as opposed to what you would say is the the seriousness of the de- devolvement of the relationship, the audiences are looking for a place to laugh, and they get them. And then we pop into these kind of serious pieces, and they—it's funny—they don't quite seem to know what to do, so they they respond properly. But t- tell me what you thought about that as you're getting into the character and getting into the play, and you've done it before. You know how did you guys handle it before? You don't remember it before? I don't really it was nine years ago, exactly. But you know, <laughs> at the same time, you know, as far as this is concerned, you know, there is a an element of tragedy to Mark's arc in this particular play because he's kind of having to get over the fact that Serge has declared independence, so to speak. You know, Serge has now done something not, uh, you know, not out from under his influence and something that he uh, obviously is not in favor of. And he's kind of taken aback by it and a little bit shocked by it at the same time. But it's a little bit of an evolution. There's a bit of growth, I guess, we're supposed to see by the end of the play, the fact that they reconcile and they're going to try and work through it. That's what I kind of take as far as the tragic part of it, is that there is a, a definite to a point where they're in conflict so heavily that mm-hmm. the fact that it's a comedy doesn't seem that obvious. And, of course, when you rehearse a play, that whether it's a comedy or not, you do it a number of times and you sort of lose track what's funny about it. It's just, right. you know, that's just a show, you know. But at the same time, it's not written for jokes. There's right. not joke lines. There's not one-liners in this. It's basically situational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the, a lot of the comedy in the show comes from the, the realism. This is, it's not absurdist at all where mm-hmm. it could have been written as an absurdist play, you know, this white painting. Uh, but I think the, the way it's written you really see the relationship between these three men and it's so believable and it's so real that I think the comedy comes through, a, I don't want to say from a place of comfort, but it's just so real. It's not slapstick. It's not, you know. I think everyone, most people in the audience, if not everyone, has friends to a varying degree. And to a varying degree, they see their friendships on stage between these three guys. Because there's always one friend who you like, you know, why did you spend that much on speakers? Why did you spend that much on a 65 Mustang when you could have a, you know, a 2022 VW or something? Um, and you also see the little, the little pick, picky things, the little, the mm-hmm. kind of, you know, these, these little pokes in the gut that can get cute. And then there's the real personal things that we get going on each other, you know. At one point, both of us are ganging up on you about why you're marrying this this woman. <laughs> At one point, I'm ganging up on on uh, Mark about why he's with this particular woman who I find he f- he learns surprisingly um, ugly repellent. You know, we're really getting into the the nib of, and I think people recognize that because. If they haven't had those conversations with friends, they've had those little kind of insulting moments where you kind of say something snobby or snooty or something, and then you're kind of back to being friends, you know. But anyway, and, and the, uh, by the way, the, um, uh, the translation from Christopher Hampton, I think, uh, right? Mm-hmm. That the guy? Uh, an Englishman who uh, translated it into English. So it's still not really American English, you know. It's it's English version of a French play. So it is very French. The language is very concise. And by the way, for those who are thinking of coming, it's only seventy five minutes. 
with no interruptions. You'll be at Galway Bay by 930. Um, so come and see it. Um, you may it goes see, by quick. It does, yeah. You may see us at Galway Bay, too. Oh, well, you know, that's, that's the plan. Um, how would you talk about your experience uh, in the round? Have you done that before? No. At uh, Silver Spring Stage, it's, uh, it's on two sides. Mm-hmm. But in the round, it's, it's, uh, it's been tricky for me to try and make sure that I, I give a little bit to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, right. I want to make sure that no, no side of the audience feels left out um, by what I'm doing. So th- it's been interesting to, uh, like when we were doing the blocking, mm-hmm. to, to my first instinct would be to do this. But if I do that for too long, there's a whole side behind me that's not seeing my face and not hearing what I'm saying. Well, right. they're hearing what I'm saying, but they're not, they're not able to see my expression. So to just really be aware that there's people on all sides of you. Right. Yeah, that, that awareness very fluid. Is, is something that you have to get used to. And you find yourself adjusting mm-hmm. as you're going through the rehearsal process to kind of make sure that everybody has a view and that you are using the entire area. Right. And you also adjust sometimes during the show. Oh, yeah. You know, I find mm-hmm. myself moving around it depending on where, where people are. You can't do too much of it. Um, tell me about the um, – we go, we go till October 1st. And then are there plans for after that for anybody or oh. nothing in line? And I certainly don't have anything. I, I, one at a time. I'm going one, one show at a time and I'm retired yeah. and I don't have to do a dang thing, you know? <laughs> I don't have anything lined up next, yeah. but there are a couple of shows here. There's a couple of shows here that, that are I really good. I would really like to audition for yeah. and probably will. Yeah. And our uh, esteemed producer, Richard Atha Nichols, will be directing one of them, but he doesn't have a mic, so I'm not going to ask him which one. But it's Book of Will, which everyone's excited about. The next one after us is Lifespan of a Fact, another three-person show. After that is Crimes of the Heart. It's a, it's a nice season they put together. Uh, part of the goal was to do simpler shows because COVID knocked everybody out in, in more ways than one. And the theater, as all theaters are doing, is still kind of recovering, you know, uh, emotionally, physically, financially. Um, and, you know, Colonial's in a, in a nice place, especially because they've been 74 years doing it. But um, it's, a, it's a slow go to get people back, to get the audiences back, although we've had, you know, we've been pretty, pretty fortunate with this one. Um, anything else you guys want to say? Because we've, we've covered art. We've covered each other's backgrounds. Well, let me just throw something out there about the concept of art in this particular thing. What this, part of what this is, is a kind of reaction to the modernist or minimalism period of art, which was prevalent when he talked about the 70s, the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. as a, you know, kind of a reaction to abstract expressionism and splattered paint and just all kinds of chaotic designs for expressing emotion on the canvas, it became more of a, a symbolic thing as far as the concept of what art is. And this p- white painting that some people see things in and some people were fascinated by, you know, can be considered art just as well as anything else, mm-hmm. but not to everybody. The common man, in this case represented by Mark in the play, you know, or the, as you mentioned, the author originally found it ludicrous that someone would spend 
an enormous amount of money for something that is essentially a blank canvas. But part of what that's about is the creation. I mean, I saw something, I, I might have read about it, and one of the curators was saying, a lot of people look at minimalist art and say, I could have done that. But she said, but you didn't. Right. You didn't do it. And you didn't mount it in New York City on, a, on a, an, an exhibition. They did. The artist did. And it's, you know, it's a creation of theirs. It's not yours. It's theirs. Right. And it's still a creative process that they go through, no matter how minimal or modern or, you know, unimpressed you might be. And in fact, I was just saying, I don't know the name of it. It's a plug here. The Glenmont Museum or something. It's out there in Montgomery County. I just saw something on TV about it. I never knew it existed. It's a modern art museum where you can go see like installations, like an entire room of trees with a pile of newspapers in the corner. That's art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that and they said that that's when you added a, a, a wing to your house so you can house that stuff <laughs> if you're really into that thing. Right. I always get a kick out of um, uh, same, same idea but different subject. When people say things like, I can't stand the Beatles music. It was so simple. It's just so simple. That's why we're listening to it 100 years later, yeah. you know, whatever it is, 60 years. Uh, and you're right. They created it, you know. So why don't you do, you create Hey Jude or Love Me Do, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we'll all be talking about you 50 years later. Right. But that's, taste is taste, but the, the, the great, the really great thing about the way this show is written is is she makes makes it count you know the the opinions about something a, a, a mostly white painting becomes very personal and that's why the audience likes it, it you know because it involves it, the characters yeah yeah and it's it's it is it's very involved it's very fun to do because everything all our lines mean something you know, there's a lot of plays where, yeah, there's some, some things are good and some things are bad. And you, or we're just trying to get to but, the next song. Yeah, exactly. Right. But in this one, all the lines are there for a reason, you know? Anyway, it's, 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 it's nice to do. It's fun to do. It's fun to do with you guys. And um, October 1st is our close. And then we're all on to other things. Maybe here, maybe elsewhere. We appreciate you both being here and staying after a matinee. I can say that. We're not supposed to talk about timing, but we, we had a matinee today, and it went very well, and now we're uh, doing a podcast. Going smooth. Going smooth. we get to say, come out and see the show? Come out and see the show. Like I say, 75 minutes. You'll laugh. You'll cry. <laughs> you'll clutch your heart. You'll go to Galway Bay at 9.15. if something gets stuck in your eye. <laughs> thank you both. Sam Linnae, Tom Newbro. Thank you, Jim Ryder. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Theater in 360, the podcast of the Colonial Players of Annapolis, hosted by Jim Ryder, produced by Richard Atha Nichols, with music by Rob Levitt. Find out more at thecolonialplayers.org. Feel free to email us at podcast at thecolonialplayers.org.